0: Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Church family, you can have a seat. Glad you are here today. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. My name is Rob. I'm lead pastor here at Salem Alliance. And you guys sounded really good today singing. I mean, you usually do, but today was like, right? Right. There was something something going on, so thanks for being here. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I know I did. My daughters are home from college, which is awesome. We got the street, everyone on the street, to play football yet again this year. So pre-Thanksgiving workout is always a win. And I I hope that you're enjoying today. It's kind of cold outside. A little bit, huh? I uh, woke up early. We have an 8 o'clock service, in case you didn't know, and you're welcome to come to that one as well. But uh, I started walking here and got about two blocks and was like... Oh, it's a little chilly. Should have brought like a hat and gloves. But uh, I'm glad you are here today as we enter into the season of Advent. One of the things before we move any further, you'll see there's a rose here on the platform. Roses here at Sam Elias signify new life in Christ. And this week, one of the patients at the Salem Free Clinics gave their life to make Jesus king of their life. Would you celebrate that with us today? <laughs> So we're launching into that season of Advent. It starts a little early this year. The four weeks leading up to Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, it's a time where we build anticipation, just thinking about Jesus coming to earth as an infant. It's also a time that we set aside to just build anticipation as we sit in expectation of Christ's second coming, of his return. This year, our series is simply titled Joy. A group of us every year go away and we just listen on behalf of the church to hear what God might be asking us to talk about. And this year, as we went away and we go to our separate places and listen and we gather together, numerous people heard the words simplicity, In the word joy. And so we hope that this series that we're launching into today just brings you a new level of joy and appreciation for Christ's coming and his second coming. Joy is a word that I feel like is anything but simple. As I took a deep dive and studied the word joy this week, once again, it's a difficult word to define. You see, many people like to define joy and they separate it out from happiness. They do that because joy should not be circumstantial. It shouldn't be dependent on just like what we're experiencing at the time. However, I think that can be a little bit dangerous because happiness is part of joy. It really is. In fact, in scripture, there's many places where the word joy is used and it actually has a root that's synonymous and you could just sub in the word happiness. And yet we know that it encompasses more than just the feeling. Joy is more than a feeling. It is not circumstantial. It is larger than happiness. Joy is a noun. It's something that is a virtue. It's an attribute. In fact, in Galatians, we see it is a fruit of the spirit. It's something that we can have. We can possess it. It's something that we can work towards and ask the Holy Spirit for. It's also a verb in English to rejoice. So we know that it's something that is an action. It's a discipline that we can develop in our lives and that it does go beyond our current circumstances. It's holding on when life is less than ideal. It's a longing for what will be a recognition that God's grace and his mercy is leaning towards us. Joy is a word that is often associated strongly with Christmas. One of the reasons why is because the gospel author Luke loved the word joy. In fact, in the first two chapters, he uses it often. Joy, may joy abound, rejoice at the birth. We see it throughout, just a couple of places we see it. Elizabeth is told that she's going to bear a son, and Zachariah receives this message from the angel Gabriel within the Holy of Holies. And he is told that this son will bring you great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. One of my favorite Christmas stories is when Mary enters the room where Elizabeth is and they're both pregnant. In John the Baptist, it says, leaps for joy in the womb when he comes close to Jesus. We know that Mary, after receiving the message that she would have the Christ child, is rejoicing. And she rejoices in God, her Savior, as she breaks into song. And of course, the angels proclaim to the shepherds good news of great joy. Christmas and joy go really well together. Here in the opening of the Gospel of Luke, we have this prophetic inauguration of the Christmas story. And with it, joy abounds everywhere we look. Today, we're going to be looking at a text in the first chapter of Luke. Luke 1, 67 to 79. You can turn there if you would like. But before we read it, I want to set a little bit of context for what is happening. Because here we have a prophetic song given by Zachariah, a priest. And there's a story behind the song. These days I primarily only stream music and so I create, you know, playlists and I'm just streaming things. I rarely ever listen to the radio, which is great because there's no commercials. But the downside of it is that a lot of times when you listen to the radio, you get to hear a DJ do an interview or you get the story behind the song. And when we get to stories behind the songs, the stories of tragedy, like Clapton's Tears in Heaven, or the story of political violence that U2 writes about in Sunday Bloody Sunday, or a breakup like Outkast is talking about with Sorry Miss Jackson, you see there's these stories behind these songs. And they make, they just, they create just a new level of understanding. They make the song even richer. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey are dating. They're still dating, just in case you were wondering. I just, I've been trying to keep up on this stuff. And I, I told you that I believe that probably a breakup song is on the horizon. I don't think this one's going to last. That's still my opinion. I still stand by that, though they're doing better than I kind of expected. And um, anyway, this past week, I'm an Eagles fan, and the Eagles were playing the Chiefs. And there was just this moment that I was like, ah, when, when, when are we going to get the song? When is the breakup going to happen? And it's not prophetic, but check out this picture. Something happened in Kelsey Hurts Swift. And I, I don't know. I mean, we're looking at a prophetic word today and I don't, it might be a stretch. Maybe it's too easy. I don't know. That's like a legitimate picture from the game, guys. Like, I, I don't know. I digress. My goal is to bring, to bring that relationship into as many sermons as I can. So stick with me, guys. I'm sorry, I apologize. Here in chapter 1 of Luke, though, Zachariah's song has a story behind it, and it's a pretty epic story. You see, the people of Israel are in a season of silence. There's over 400 years that God has has not been speaking in the ways that he had in the past through the prophets and through the kings. He's been fairly silent. And both Zechariah and Elizabeth are living in this generation, waiting in anticipation. Maybe they're the generation that will receive the Messiah. They're both from the priestly line of Aaron, both of them, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah is a priest, which means that he's one of probably 18,000 among the Israelites. And as a priest, two weeks out of the year, he has to go to Jerusalem and fulfill his priestly duties in the temple. And so on one of these weeks, and he's, he's been doing this for probably, he's probably done this 120 times, the scripture, he's probably around 80 years old. And so he heads to Jerusalem. And what happens then is while you're doing your priestly duties, they're also, they cast lots to see what priest is going to enter into the holy of holies to offer the incense and the prayers for the Messiah and the redemption of the people. There's a one in 18,000 shot. If you get chosen, that's like the highlight of your priestly career. And Zechariah gets chosen. And so he heads into the Holy of Holies. And everything changed for Zechariah on that day. He's a priest, likely in his 80s, likely having been there so many times, never having been chosen before. He's a priest in a time where the hope is really low. Ministry in a dry season can be difficult, and there's been 400 years of silence. And don't forget, he's also without an error. His wife, Elizabeth, is barren, and with that comes a stigma and some shame and some gossip, likely in the village. But all of that changes on this day. It's the story behind the song. An elderly priest chosen to go into the Holy of Holies. An elderly priest is going to have a child. His lineage is going to be part of the epic salvation story. He's going to get the insider info inside the Holy of Holies. He's going to be one of the first to get to proclaim the good news that the Messiah is now here. And nine months have passed since that encounter. Mary has since visited her cousin Elizabeth, pregnant. John, the baby, has just been born. And eight days later, here we are at the naming ceremony when Zachariah's tongue is finally loosened and the song that has been brewing in his heart is finally allowed to come out. It's a pretty epic story behind this song. And let's read the lyrics here in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant, David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Here we have a breaking in, a Kairos moment. The Spirit comes upon Zechariah for this prophetic word. And here, this prophetic word releases hope. It releases hope. The silence is over. The time is near. The Savior of the world is on his way. Here, a promise of joy is given. Simeon and Anna, waiting for years in the temple, did you hear the news? Reactions when the really good news hits, they vary. Sometimes people scream and they just lose it and they can't control their emotions. Sometimes people are left just absolutely speechless. Joy takes different forms when it is released. For Zachariah, this joy has aged a bit. Nine months, he had been watching, listening, anticipating, holding in the beauty of what he experienced, hoping, holding in that just the truth that all was about to change. And now it's about to pour out. Now his tongue is loosened, it says in scripture. And what comes out of him is beautiful and it is theologically deep. It's a beautiful reminder of the good news of this holiday season. Today I want to explore the promise of joy that is found in this passage. The anticipation of Christ's birth. But I also want us to reflect on the promise of his return. I think that here in the scripture, you will see that joy is unleashed by our faith in the promises and the anticipation of what one day will be. It's released by us standing on the promises and anticipating his return when all will be made right. Today, two simple points I see in this passage and then an invitation for us. The first point is this, God's promises are true. If he said it, we believe it. It is as good as done for Zechariah. On a personal level, the angel told him he would have a son in his late age, and here he is holding that son. Good as done. On the communal level, God said the Redeemer, the Messiah, is coming, and so if he said it, we believe it. Verse 69 to 70, he has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his prophets long ago. It hasn't happened yet, and here Zechariah is making the declaration just as he promised. I believe in this act of worship, God is sitting on his throne, hearing once again one of the prophets saying it's happened just as, it, as he promised, even though in reality it isn't there yet. And I see God on his throne saying, I get that one a lot. I get that one a lot. His word is true, and he is faithful. Growing up, I grew up in a church and we'd sing a lot of hymns. And I remember there was this woman, Dot Collins. She sat about three rows back on the right hand side. And Dot was a very expressive worshiper. She often would put her hand in the air and she would sing these hymns with such gusto. And there was this old hymn. It wasn't my favorite because of the tune, but the words of it are incredible. It's called Standing on the Promises. Standing on the promises of Christ, my King. And she would just put her hand up. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. How many of you grew up singing that hymn? Some of you, a lot of you know that hymn. Okay, all right. That's our invitation today. To stand on the promises. To stand there. And Zechariah is doing just that in this psalm. But it took him a little while to get there. He's declaring it now, but when the promise was first delivered in the temple earlier in Luke chapter 1, there was a bit of disbelief and even a streak of skepticism. And I think that's why I like Zechariah. I have some of that skepticism within me as well, and I have to fight through it. And even though I'm sure he had 1 Kings eight fifty six memorized, as many of the priests and prophets probably did to get them through, praise the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel just as he promised. Not one word has failed all the wonderful promises that he gave through his servant Moses. I'm sure he had that verse written on his heart, and yet when the angel Gabriel is there appearing to him, he's like, really, how will this happen? And there's this bit of doubt that comes in. And yet, here he is now, knowing that they are fulfilled. Here he is now, understanding that he will get to see these promises lived out. And he's blessed See, there was generations of silence between when the prophets start, stopped hearing and when this prophetic inauguration begins. Our God is a generational God, and oftentimes his promises don't come in the time frame that we hope for. Zachariah's song reminds us of this. It references even the promises to Abraham and the promises to David. These happened centuries ago. Zachariah would get to see what they never did. And that's often the case. Many never get to see the promises that they were given realized. Sometimes I'll read old biographies of of missionaries, and recently I read one, Dr. William and Clara Leslie. They were missionaries in the Democratic Republic of Congo. In 1912, they showed up there. They cleared some land. They built kind of a mission in the village of Vanga. I'll throw a picture of, of it here for you. They spent 17 years there, and their ministry came to an abrupt end when some of the tribal leaders came to them and said, we don't want you here anymore. And they had to pack up and leave. And Dr. Leslie writes in his diary, he, he writes that it was just a really difficult thing for them. They had given 17 years and they felt like they made no impact, no big impact at all. Well, about 100 years later, in 2010, some missionaries, Mission Aviation Fellowship, decided that they wanted to go into the jungles across the river from From Vanga, And they entered, they knew that there was the Yanzi people there, and they figured that the Yanzi people may have heard the name of Jesus, but were highly unreached and probably had no concept. And so they wanted to start a ministry to this group of people deep in the jungle. And when they got deep into the jungle, what they discovered was eight villages across a 34-mile stretch, and they found a reproducing network of churches throughout that jungle, each village had its own gospel choir. They were writing praise and worship music in their own languages. In fact, they were having competitions and sing-offs from village to village. In the main village, they found an old cathedral, that's a stone cathedral that sat a thousand people. And when they began to hear the history, they realized that it be, the people were traveling so far that they decided, why are we doing gathering everyone? Let's plant churches throughout the area. And that's what they did. Apparently, Dr. Leslie would cross the river once a year and spend almost a month going to these villages, teaching them about who Jesus was, teaching scripture, teaching the tribal children how to read and write and the importance of education, but he never saw the results. In his lifetime, he had no idea. Unlike Dr. Leslie, Zachariah was blessed to see the promises come to be. But many were the prophets that came before him that never had that privilege. Why did it take so long? I'm not sure. But it says in Galatians 4 4 that when the time was right, God sent his son. Why is it taking so long for his second coming? I'm not sure. But I believe that when the time is right, he will come again. He will. How do I know? Because he stood on a mountain and he told his disciples that this would be the case. And if he said it, we believe it. Good as done. Amen? Amen. And when we truly stand on the promises, it does something within us. It releases anticipation. And that's the second point. The beauty of anticipation. There is a beauty in anticipation. The Advent season is all about cultivating that anticipation. Growing up, we had a lot of family traditions in our house. One of the traditions was on the dining room table where we gathered for dinner almost every night as a family. My mom, every year, would buy this candle. They would do a countdown from 1 to 25 in December, and I hated that candle. It was like this constant reminder of how far away Christmas was. And it felt like the candle burned really, really slow. It always felt like December was the longest month of the year, like three times longer than any other month because the anticipation was so rich that the presents were under the tree. And as a kid, you just wanted it to be there. But the waiting would build something. Waiting has a tendency to build a richness. Waiting makes things better. One of the reasons I know this is true is, as I've lived in Oregon, I've noticed that there's many rural restaurants and the outskirts of the cities that are really good in Oregon. They're really, really good. Many of you have probably had food at these places, and I'm coming to understand the secret. The secret is they're actually not that good. But after a really long hike, or after a really long car ride, you're getting a little bit hangry, you're hungry and you're angry and the hunger is growing and you arrive to the parking lot and you quickly go in and you just order something and you're just waiting for the food to be prepared and the hunger is only growing and the anticipation is there and it doesn't really matter what comes out to you, you think it's awesome. It's true. Guys, many of you often, you drive over to Bend and you stop at Sister's Coffee. How many of you stop at Sister's Coffee? And you think it's like the best coffee in the world. You do, it's good. It's the anticipation, my friends. It's the anticipation. It's the best marketing tool there is. (laughs) Zachariah's encounter with the angel ended a 400-year season of waiting. That's a long time. The generational waiting was over. Something was on the horizon. Imagine the celebration as they gathered at this naming ceremony. They knew something was up with Zachariah. They hadn't seen Elizabeth in a while. They had heard the stories that this baby was born. They knew there was something special going on. And Zechariah breaks into this prophetic word. Can you imagine the celebration in their village? The story also brought with it some uncertainty. On a small level for Zachariah and Elizabeth, this awkwardness that he has been mute for this whole nine months. The anticipation, will his voice return? But in addition to that uncertainty, it released that beautiful expectancy. Nine months of pregnancy, and now John would grow up. He would prepare the way for the one. But a new season of waiting began. How long until the Messiah would be identified? And once identified, how long until he would bring redemption and freedom? They knew it was close, but how long? Joy had returned to the community because the assurance of the promise had been renewed. God was communicating with his people in honest and deep ways again. The savior of the world was about to be made known to a people that had waited and hoped For generations. And here again, we see the promises of the Old Testament, the prophecies and the promises fulfilled. If he said it, we believe it. And yet we find ourselves here today living in the beauty of the promise of his return, anticipating the return of Jesus. We live in the already, but the not yet. And we need to remember, church, rest assured that one day all will be made right. Heaven will be fully realized here on earth. It will be the Christmas of Christmases. And when we recognize that, joy is unleashed by our faith in these promises in the anticipation of his second coming. C.S. Lewis was the one that said, All joy reminds All joy reminds. He connects it to what is about to be. And I think he's right. And so let me close today with two simple invitations. Two reminders. The first, be reminded of his mercy. This story reminds us of our redeeming God. He's faithful to his promises. But in this song, we see the motivation behind his faithfulness, and it's his tender mercy. It says so in verse 78 and 79, because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. He is faithful to his promise because of his mercy and his grace. He wants to see us on that road of peace. The joy is cultivated when we can receive that in confidence and recognize that it is his grace, that it is his mercy leaning towards us. And this song is so theologically rich. Part of the promise that we get here is we see in verse 74 that we also get to serve him without fear. We've been rescued from our enemies, it says, so that we can serve God without fear, so that we can live lives without fear. And here's the thing, fear and joy do not coexist well. Fear and joy don't coexist well. And many of us are wanting to experience more joy and we're kind of stuck with some fear. And I get it, it's because our waiting rooms have a lot of fear in them. Some of us in this room are anxious and fearful because we're waiting for that medical test result to come back. And some of us are, are just stressed out because of a relationship that we know needs to be reconciled. And some of us are struggling to start a family of our own, and we're in that waiting room ourselves. Some of you are waiting for that college acceptance letter, and you have some finals that are around the corner. What are you holding on to in the waiting room that has fear attached to it? What's there? You see, those spaces hold an immense amount of fear, and this season is an invitation to release that fear and experience joy. In fact, some of you right now, you know exactly what your waiting room is. Would you actually even just put your hand out? Hold on to that fear for a second, because you're about to get rid of it. Just hold... Hold on to it, release it, and turn your palms over. Because one of the beautiful things of Scripture is joy is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And so, Spirit, I invite your presence now to bring joy to my brothers and sisters. As the fear dissipates, would you fill them with new joy in this season? Amen. The final invitation I see here is once again, we are to be reminded of his second coming. I've already been talking about it through the sermon, but I had to put it here at the end for me personally, because I don't do this well. Truth is, I don't. I love Christmas because it's the prophetic inauguration. The kingdom of God is at hand. Heaven is coming to earth. And guess what? We get to be part of it. He says it beautifully. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. And we know that he chooses to use us as church to bring that light everywhere we go. I love that. That's why we talk about here. We get to bring the peace in the presence of the power of Jesus everywhere we go. There's a call to action. And I love action. I love accomplishing. I love getting those things done. And yet, Advent is also about us pondering. Pondering the promise of his return. It's about waiting And church family, our goal, our desire to see peace in our city, peace in our world, heaven and earth uniting, we get to play a role in it in the here and now, but it won't be fully realized until he returns, just as he said he would. And so in this season of Advent, may we diligently engage with the kingdom that is at hand, but let's also make sure we do not forget to sing about reflect on and talk about his return his second coming advent season is set aside to do just that joy to the world the lord has come joy to the world the lord is coming again let's pray jesus we thank you for your word it is living and active. And we thank you for this prophetic song that you gave Zachariah over 2,000 years ago that is still valuable to us today. We thank you for the reminders. And we declare today that your promises are true. We release anticipation in this room for your second coming. And we release anticipation and joy as we prepare to celebrate your first coming. God becoming man Emmanuel, God with us, may your hope abound, may your joy increase in our lives. We love you, we worship you, and we stand on your promises today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.